Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben here. Welcome to the podcast. It's episode 483 for August 23rd, 2023. Um, our guests today were joined by a duo. They are Dominic Stokes and Amanda Zimmerman. They host a new podcast called Squishy Lean. It's available now. We'll talk about that, what that means, uh, what that name means, and uh, we have a great conversation uh, here in the episode today. We don't often talk about Lean Six Sigma here in the podcast, but we're going to be um, talking about that, um, continuous improvement. And um, again, if you, if you don't do anything with Six Sigma, I think you'll still really enjoy the conversation and the discussion here today. So to learn more about Amanda and Dominic and their podcast, look for links in the show notes, or you can go to leanblog.org slash 483. As always, thanks. Thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to Lean Blog Interviews. I'm Mark Raven. We're joined today by two guests. They are Amanda Zimmerman and Dominic Stokes. They are each Lean Six Sigma professionals, and they host, they co-host a new podcast called Squishy Lean. So before I introduce you uh, to each of them, uh, Amanda, Dominic, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you. Doing great. Doing great over here, too. So I'm looking forward to the conversation today and learning more about you, and we'll find out what you mean by squishy lean. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about Amanda and Dominic. First off, Amanda Zimmerman is a Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt with a global background. She's worked in oil and gas, software, and a variety of industries all over the world, mentoring professionals in continuous improvement. Amanda holds an MBA from Imperial College of London. In 2020, she launched Beautiful Opportunities, aiming to empower people in continuous improvement worldwide and to make it easy for people to start applying the tools. So, uh, Amanda, when you speak of a global um, audience, it's Friday afternoon for me and Dominic. It's Saturday. Mm -hmm. Happy Saturday morning to you. Tell us where you are, even though the accent would not suggest as much. <laughs> yeah, I'm in New Zealand right now. So uh, I moved here about a year and a half ago. So for me, uh, it's it's early morning. Um, but I'm super excited to be here with the two of you who I think are ending your work day. So uh, yeah, <laughs> getting close. This is the last thing on my calendar uh, <laughs> for, for the day anyway, and the first for uh, Amanda. So let me tell you about uh, Dominic Stokes. He is an industrial engineer with a background in manufacturing engineering and management consulting. Ever since he first learned about lean manufacturing principles, Dom has looked for more opportunities in and outside of work to learn and practice. So his overall goal is to find ways to convert commercial lean tools to residential uses um, in the home. So when he isn't learning about lean, he's spending time with his wife and dog or cutting his hair. Cutting the dog's hair, cutting your own hair, both. <laughs> First, yeah, for right now, it's just cutting my own hair. Um, cutting hair was something that I did in college, just as a small side job. But eventually, it could turn into dog grooming as well. It's pretty similar. Yeah. Um, my my wife cut my hair once, and that was an early pandemic thing. She was really <laughs> afraid. To, <laughs> really afraid to do that. You have to uh, forgive the pun, as she learned after the first couple of times. She had to lean into it, like let the, <laughs> let the guard do its work. Otherwise, yeah. That was a good way to say that. <laughs> and uh, so, Dom, where, where are you joining us from today? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All right. Under the Steelers. Yes. So um, I want to hear, as we normally do here on the podcast, um, each of your lean origin stories. And I think there's an origin story 
for Squishy Lean and, and how that came mm-hmm. to be and how you two uh, met. So kind of the, the open-ended question, um, we'll start with you, Amanda. What would you say is your origin story, whether that's framed as Lean or is that Lean Six Sigma? Yeah, for me, it's probably more Six Sigma. Uh, and I discovered Lean along the way and thought, hey, this is really important. We should be doing a lot more of this. Um, I started in oil and gas in California for a rig company. And uh, originally, I had gone to school to be a teacher. Uh, and it just didn't work out. Children in large quantities don't work for me. So uh, <laughs> I took a temp job and then ended up staying there for six years. So it was the first assignment I was sent out on. They told me I wasn't qualified, but they needed someone last minute. So they let me slip in and make copies for this company. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up working my way up to um, being the assistant to the West Coast director of that group. And uh, when I did that, I had the opportunity to see more about the continuous improvement department. So I studied and I I worked really hard to try to know what I could about continuous improvement, or in that case, it was Six Sigma was the program, uh, interviewed and was told no. <laughs> so did not make it, uh, even after doing my best. But at that point in my life, I was super interviewed introverted at work as well. I was very robotic in the things that I did. So I realized I had to to learn new skills that we use in continuous improvement as facilitators, which is networking and talking to people and being comfortable in that space. So I spent 30 days every day doing something social. And uh, after that, yeah, it was tough. It was panic attacks outside of people's houses kind of thing. Um, But, you know, you get through it. And after that, they actually came to me and asked me to join their department. So, uh, you know, it was a lot of hard work. It's I think a lot of people look at us and they think this is natural or or normal for us. But sometimes it does take that work and finding out what you want to do and where you want to go. it was really exciting to me using the tools. So it was worth it to, to take those kind of steps. Hmm. So you mentioned before we started recording that you had taught a green belt class um, mm-hmm. this, this week. Is, is it easier teaching adults or is that just part of your oh evolution and being able to be more comfortable teaching in general? Yes, it's so much easier teaching adults. I I mean, I think there's two pieces there. One, I no longer have to tell a child, sit down, sit down, sit down, and spend so much of my day trying to get this child to sit in their seat. And, you know, if you get mad at six-year-olds for being six-year-olds, that's that's on you, right? And so, you know, that was just not a space that I was doing well. But I, I, I think the other issue with, like, classroom management, if we want to call it that, is... I'm a person that didn't have a lot of confidence Uh, when I was younger. Even now, I struggle with that. So being a classroom manager was really hard for me right out of college, whereas now I'm much more comfortable telling people, "Okay, we're going to start again. You know, we need to come together. You need to be quiet. Um, Whereas back then, it was just so tough for me to have some of those conversations. So I think it's a combination. Yeah, that's one of my least favorite things of teaching is trying to corral a room full of people back. <laughs> yes. to, uh, okay. We, we got to go. There are these teacher techniques for <laughs> trying to get attention and, and silence and, and all, but um, I want to ask one other follow-up question, you know, about your journey. You, you say you later discovered lean, like I, I'm curious, you know, how and when 
that was and 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 how did that resonate with you as something important to bring into the mix? Yeah, so our oil and gas program was pretty um six sigma focused. So it was very green belt, white belt focused. There was lean in there, especially with the eight wastes. Uh, I don't know that we had the five principles of lean that we used. So the majority of the course really, you know, you're getting maybe half a day of lean or a couple hours of lean. Uh, and as um as I progressed in my career and I saw more and more opportunities really for visual management, I felt like why are we jumping to these complicated projects when there's some obvious simple things that we could do that could help people? And then it just so happened I was working to actually leave the oil and gas industry because I wanted more experiences. And so I took a job with a consulting firm that was still in oil and gas but had other opportunities. And I ended up at a refinery doing a lean transformation. And uh, that was... One, you know, it was similar to the other tools that we use, similar structure, similar way of getting people on board, but really doing a much deeper dive into the lean tools. And so that for me kind of cemented the knowledge that I already had on my own of researching it and seeing how it can actually work and transform a team. So um that was a, a wonderful experience, I'd say. It also had quite a few elements of agile, if we can say that, in oil and gas, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's it's been a really interesting uh, progression to kind of start with Six Sigma and then go back and say, hey, something's missing. And I think so many organizations do that, right? They start with the Six Sigma program. I think that that certainly happened with, with a lot of... Uh a lot of companies and and they, they've added on lean. And I mean, the last manufacturing company I worked for almost 20 years ago, uh, I'm trying to think what came first. Maybe it was lean, but it was lean and Six Sigma, mm-hmm. which I think is is different. Maybe just open, this, we can open some discussion on this a little bit before we get to your origin story, Dom. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's lean and Six Sigma, where at Honeywall, those were two mm-hmm. very different full rich disciplines being used together, where I see a lot of times this kind of single lean Six Sigma is quite often mm-hmm. 80 or 90% Six Sigma with a little bit of lean. Curious to hear exactly. you know, your your thoughts, Amanda or, or Dom, kind of on that mix, that balance. Is it separate things that coexist or is it a, a combined methodology to you? Uh, to me, <clears throat> I prefer it as a combined methodology, but I think there's a progression of maturity. So I think organizations need to start with lean tools. Once the easy opportunities are out of the way, once you have management support, then you can go on to those really complex prob- projects that you use to make in a more structured way with uh, and those harder tools. I think most organizations I've worked with don't need um, you know, design of experiments. Mm-hmm. They need Kanban boards. They need control charts, maybe. Um, yeah, so I see it as like a maturity progression. What about you, Dominic? I have a very similar answer to you. And I think it's because I heard about it um, through somebody that's in a group that we're in Lean Portland. Um, but my experience has only been in Lean, in manufacturing mm. settings, and a little bit in distribution and retail. And somebody else, that I trust um, also said that lean is that foundation that would allow people to have the palette to take on Six Sigma projects. Once everybody's involved mm-hmm. in understanding that they can improve their own workspaces and 
that it's not a fad, um, that everybody has to work together on it. Um, I, so I heard the same thing as you, Amanda. Nice. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think in, in my experience or my view, um, and, and look, I'm, I'm not asking these questions cause I'm in the role of like teacher looking for the answer. <laughs> There's lots of ways no. of answering this and doing this, but I would be, I would have an easier time explaining what a quote unquote lean culture is. Uh, I, mm. they, I would be hard pressed to describe a quote unquote six Sigma culture, but I would, I would yeah. certainly argue that Six Sigma methods and tools and projects could fit within the context of lean as both continuous improvement and respect for people. Mm-hmm. 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 I, I 100% agree with you. I think lean is at its heart that culture shift and it lays a foundation for Six Sigma to be successful because if you talk to people about why their projects didn't work, it's because management didn't support them because they are not high enough impact because the organization doesn't value improvement in that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you don't have that lean culture that sets that foundation, then it doesn't support people. It doesn't set them up for success in their projects. You're kind of working against yourself then mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. But, you know, maybe as a follow-up question for, for either or both of you, you know, back to that point you raised, Amanda, of people saying management didn't support me. Well, then the question mm-hmm. is, well, how, how do we define the support gap and what countermeasures are we recommending then? Like what, what does it mean mm-hmm. to have management? What's the right kind of support? What's the right level of support? That's a good question. I have, yeah, I have what something do you think, that I Dominic? think, yeah, I can, I can kind of speak to that. Um, in my experiences, the, the management support was enablement. Sometimes they were involved, but it was more, um, overseeing to the point where they were excited to see what everybody else had to say now that they had different ways to say what they've always seen, if that isn't too much of a convoluted way to say it. So I remember at the end of Kaizen Weeks, um, whenever the owners would come down to the floor and we're standing next to our flip charts and speaking about what we did, and they're just excited to see other people stepping up to speak about how much fun they had that week. And I think that's, that's the piece that I'll go into in my lean journey that I think really like hit home for me. But I think that's the, that's the piece whenever Mm -hmm. you're enabled by management Mm -hmm. and they allow you to have that time to practice and try or iterate or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And continue to support you, right? I, I think management, it's also up to them to set that strategic vision and to communicate that effectively so that we're all working towards that same goal. Um, and Mm -hmm. yeah, just exactly what you said, Dominic, supporting the team, helping them identify projects, helping them be empowered to make changes, truly empowered, Mm -hmm. not just saying it'd be great if you could tell us what to improve. Yeah. 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 Um, there's language sometimes people use, uh, they'll say things like, I want people to feel empowered. And I'm like, well, I guess that is a (laughs) feeling that they they decide if they have, but um, I mean, you know, they, we we can actually empower people. You know, we have to be careful of fake empowerment or um, the, mm-hmm. the the worst versions of the phrase are things like I want people to feel it, like they're involved. I'm like, well, maybe we could actually involve get them involved, and yeah. they will feel involved, yeah. but not fake right. involved in terms of like, yeah. well, we want you to feel like you had input when we have no 
uh, you know, no, no mm-hmm. real intent to take the input. I would say, don't waste people's time. People get discouraged mm-hmm. if they've Absolutely. been told to speak up, to chime in, and they're not listened to. Amanda, I'm sorry, you you were going to say. I'm sure you've got stories or thoughts. On oh that. no, no. I I mean, I I probably tend to be like, yes, yes, <laughs> too much. But you know, I always think of it like like we're playing baseball. And the work that we do as consultants is we get that team all ready to pitch the ball to management, but it's up to them whether or not they're going to hit it. And so, uh, you know, to me, if they throw that ball and it doesn't get hit, that cuts deep. And a lot of the work that we end up doing is actually uh, getting the people back on board after they've had those experiences previously. And, and, you know, that to me is just so disappointing over and over again. Are you going to an organization where the top management doesn't know about the program or the things that are going on? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's just, we want true empowerment. So I think that's a great call out, Mark. Yeah. It's recognizable when it isn't as well. Yeah. 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 There's no fooling people when it comes to that. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like to me, the role of the leader is I, I love the word, the E words that you use there, enable, empower, not jumping in to do it mm-hmm. for you, right? There's this difference mm-hmm. between um giving people a space or even you know, trying to create the conditions where where there's psychological safety where people can first you know point out problems and then B, go try things. And 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 mm-hmm. one of you touched on already. Um, sometimes we're going to try countermeasures, projects, improvements that don't work out the way we expected. And if that gets punished, mm-hmm. you know, people will stop stop participating. It's understandable. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, so so Don, maybe let, let's bring it back to your origin story. I mean, I, I think this is a fun open-ended question because your story is different than Amanda's, which is different than mine, which is different than 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 others. So what, what about yours? Yeah, so <clears throat> I'm fresh out of college, um, majored in industrial engineering, went to the University of Pittsburgh, and I started at my first manufacturing company where it was a big it was a big lift for me to find where I fit in, where I would fit in with the shop associates, with the engineering team, with the design team. And we were a company that was releasing a lot of new products fast. So I had to be able to speak well with all of the associates on the shop floor. And me coming in so young, not knowing how to work any of the tools physically, like drills or wrenches or anything like that, and not knowing the industry, it was really difficult for me to gain trust. So while I was at that company, I had three different directors. And I say they all fit on the spectrum of, I like lean and I don't like lean very well. Like one on the one end, another one on the other end, the other guy right in the middle. And, um, it was whenever we switched from our first director to our second director that I saw such a change in the overall attitude of the associates because he was the person that introduced lean to the whole organization. It may have lived a little bit within the engineering team, um, but he took it straight to the floor, put on the jeans, drove the the roadhouse car to work just in case anybody got mad and wanted to slash his tires and um, just got right out on the floor and said, show me how you do it. And then went to the next person, show me how you do this. And it was never one specific thing that he had implemented or he had encouraged us to implement. It was just this general wave of a better feeling of being at work. And I physically saw it because I was able to gain the trust of the same people that were so work hardened and ready to work against me. 
as soon as we brought in those methodologies, identifying wastes, 5S, it was an easier way for me to communicate with them every single day on the work that they did, rather than going out with this preconceived task of, I need to find this time so I can put it into a system. This was more, show me how you work. So I was actually encouraged to wear the same clothes as everybody else and go out and build product. And I learned how to work the tools. I sat next to the same people that did the job longer than I had been alive at that point. And I learned so much. So I think that I've been chasing that feeling ever since I saw it for the first time. And to double down on that, that director ended up taking us back to his original location where he was able to learn his old company. And I had seen, I saw ways of manufacturing there that were so simple. Their andon lights were Velcroed yet red, yellow, and green stripes that just stuck above their workstations. They used like fence gating on the back to hold their bins. Like nothing was like top of the line, but I saw rabbit chase assemblies where mm-hmm. there were three people in a line. And if somebody in the center had to back, wasn't going fast enough, they backed up and the person behind that person in the center moved forward. It was just the coolest thing to me. And I just kept saying like, what a great environment for people to work in. Mm-hmm. So that's what really sparked off the interest in lean. And I've just been trying to practice it ever since. Yeah. And every time I learned a new thing or a new tool, um, I really didn't want to focus too much on the tool, but it was really hard for me to separate seeing a tool in the industry and then also seeing that same type of tool in what we do every single day. So when I see Kanban shelves, I'm thinking about going to the grocery store. Right. If I'm seeing 5S, I'm thinking about how I'll try to make my bed every day or the organization of where my toothbrush is and all of those things, getting things closer to where you have to grab it from. So I think that that whole feeling is what I've been chasing ever since. And I've just been trying to do that every single place that I've ever worked and every organization that I'm in outside of work ever since. Yeah. It's it's uh, interesting that you mention seeing Kanban, thinking of the grocery store. I mean, that that's, you you probably know, part of the history of, of Toy Wiggly. Coming to the U.S., Piggly Wiggly, exactly. And that's just kind of fun to say. I've never shopped at a Piggly Wiggly. I've driven past a Piggly Wiggly. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there there are concepts, and I think we'll have a chance to dig into this more, with some pretty universal applicability. I mean, I have things at home like um, toilet paper and paper towel. I don't ever want to be in trouble for running out. Mm-hmm. And so you know, there's kind of like the, 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 the Costco sized Kanban bin. I don't have Kanban cards. I don't have a tape outline, but mm-hmm. it works. There's a two bin Kanban system. When one of those 24 packs is empty, I don't need to drop everything and run to the store. Mm-hmm. Just like we wouldn't want someone in the factory or in an operating room to have to drop everything and go run. Like the next time we go, it's on the list and it gets, you, pick it up. you know, um, we, we can, we can do simple things like that uh, at, at home to make our it's it's kind of self-motivated the way I, I think it can be in manufacturing. I, I was curious, you know, if you can share a little bit more on motivation, like either to you applying lean at home or, or tapping into people's motivation where they want to do their work better. Yeah, the so I'll start with work. Um, some of the simplest things like starting with 5S to help people reorganize their workstations so that they see that they can get through a day without being as mentally bogged down because Mm -hmm. they're not searching for tool or using the wrong tool and then having to do rework. 
I remember seeing somebody specifically in one of the departments so taken over by all of the tools that we learned that he had like elected to be the guy that took on this new ultrasonic wire cutter stripper machine. It was a new technology and he kind of like stepped up to the plate. And I actually think, and I saw this on Facebook recently, I actually, actually think he's the supervisor of that department now, like oh. a, a department that was a piece of an, a piece of another department. Now this person could possibly be the supervisor of that department because of how much interest they took from seeing how much better their work could get every day. Mm-hmm. Um, with me in the home, and Amanda, I know you're thinking of what I'm about to bring up. I really like to do it with laundry because I have damaged my wife's clothes way too many times uh-huh. or have been like walking in Home Depot and a sock falls out of my hoodie because <laughs> there's too many things that just are being washed and dried together. So I've had like three or four iterations of how I store my laundry, do my laundry. Um, and I think I found a pretty good groove so far, but it's just, it's fun to know that you can improve on little things that end up creating extra time for you to focus on the things that you really want to focus on throughout the day. It's a, it's a value that I think you can't even put money on sometimes being able to earn that time back. Yeah. So to your point, Oh, no, go, go, go ahead, Amanda. I was just going to say, and to your point earlier, Dominic, it doesn't have to be expensive. Right. Correct. It doesn't. Right? That was actually a, a really big point for me because I thought going back to a facility that this guy who taught me everything that I knew about this great feeling of continuous improvement and respect for people, I was thinking the floors were going to be spotless. And there were some really nice technology, technological things, but it was simple where it needed to be simple. Um, it was a, a really, really big like revelation to say like use what you have to make your space better now then decide if you need something new and shiny so good thing you brought that back up amanda yeah i I was going to ask a follow-up question about laundry is this a a small batch strategy even if the washing machine is not a smaller batch washer correct it is it's I was trying to eliminate the time spent folding and sorting through mm-hmm. things that would get nested together in the in the dryer. So yeah, I switched to small batches. It's it's a big 5S effort. And I know that I can spend the least amount of time folding and putting it away, which was always the thing that would just last until the next day. Yeah. I have a laundry basket sitting behind my couch for a couple of days that had some folded items in it. Maybe I didn't they were all folded and I just didn't feel like putting them away yet. So yeah, smaller batches, quicker turnaround. That that was the goal. So, as an industrial engineer, we we won't get too deep into this, but we leave it even for the audience to think through, like these different trade offs of your labor time, <laughs> your frustration, however you would quantify or characterize uh, that, versus uh, let's say energy cost of running a cycle, uh, soap detergent cost. I mean, um, I think of like, you know, dishwashers, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's said that, you know, modern dishwasher is still really efficient. You don't necessarily have to wait until there's a full load that even running a partial load is more efficient water wise than hand washing a small set mm-hmm. of dishes in the sink. I mean, there's, there's more energy use, but when we think about these trade-offs though, um, it's interesting to think through how, how you're, you've decided how to optimize things for you. It seems. I think that right now, that pro- the problem of damaging clothes just became a bigger 
mm-hmm. issue mm-hmm. in the energy costs at the moment. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean, and this is why I love continuous improvement, that yeah. in the future we don't re-optimize and reorganize this to actually be more energy efficient. We find a way to just like identify the clothing that doesn't need to go into the dryer so it doesn't get accidentally put there. But yeah, that's a it can change. But the big screaming problem was I was ruining very expensive clothing. <laughs> there is a uh, a financial cost and emotional cost to that, I bet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um I was also going to ask, you know, thinking back to that first company that you were at, Dom, um, you know, I'm thinking back to my first company coming out of college, General Motors, you know, there was certainly a mix. There were more people who were probably in the middle or anti-lean uh, for different reasons. You know, it just flies in the face of what they've been used to doing for 30 years. And, and mm-hmm. I'm mainly thinking about leaders, not frontline employees mm-hmm. being resistant. Did you, do you recall talking with, or do you have a sense of the people, the three, the, the, of the three, the two you described as being in the middle, or let's just say anti-lean? Mm-hmm. Was it just uh, unfamiliarity? Didn't believe in it? Do you know what was involved there? I think that it was. They were. They were definitely familiar. All three were definitely familiar. I think that it was. Only one of the three had the opportunity to get their hands on this experience as much as that person did. Mm. Like this director came to us with over two hundred kaizens that he had run under his belt. It was the. It was ingrained into the DNA of the company that he came from. And that is where I think that I've been so inspired to really practice as much as possible and gain that firsthand experience. So everybody knew, everybody knew what it was. I just don't think they really understood the value of how far it could reach because they didn't have the chance, maybe in their experiences and their careers, to practice it as much as this person did. Yeah. That, that was exactly the situation at my GM plant. You know, the, uh, I've told this story on the podcast many times, I think. But the second plant manager I worked under was one of the original GM people who was sent to the NUMI plant to learn from Toyota. And I remember asking him years after I had left GM, like why the number two in the plant just uh, wasn't aligned or wasn't on board with this lean direction. And he said basically what you did. Like well, he didn't have um, the opportunity to have the experiences that I had to yep. see firsthand. But, you know, for you and then maybe you know, Amanda, we can turn it back to you also from your first exposure. I mean, you know, first Dom, like, was it more of kind of an intellectual acceptance that, OK, well, this this is a better way. Now, let, let's go do it and gain experience compared to somebody who had been through all of those events or, or circumstances. Yeah, I think I was just more struck by. How fast it reached everybody. There was a there was a special assembly line. This is this is the turning point I think that I had that made me realize that this sparked an interest in everybody's minds. There was an assembly line that was very rigid. Um, it didn't allow you to build bigger products or smaller products on it. Only and it was like a cart and elevator system that moved to certain stations, so you could only build products that fit on it a certain way. And one of the tasks was for us to push that out of the building, like and throw it away into one of the dumpsters because we wanted more space to be able to build multi-model um, products. And it took like 20 people to push it out of the building and they just left it all intact and just slid it out. It was like the biggest uproar of a, of a... So 
I don't think that it's, I think that it's an intellect, that intellectual aspect of me seeing like, wow, this really gets people motivated and has everybody work together. That's all that I needed. It has been fun to learn about like deeper meaning things, maybe like what the Kanban equation is based off of. If we want to get into like nerdy things like that, um, it's fun to pay respect and understand where that comes from. But you can just start with the two bin system and tweak it from there if you really want to get it in the hands of the people fast. Yeah. Amanda, any thoughts there about even your journey or what you see with others of like, you know, belief versus evidence or hand in hand? Yeah, I have to say, um, you know, for me on on my experience where I had kind of that breakthrough moment was because uh, when people came to me with tasks or things they needed done, I kept being very, um, <laughs> maybe too much so, uh, very focused on why. Why do you need this? And what are those deadlines? What is the demand behind that? And, uh, you know, with some tasks that you get handed to as an admin, um, they're often not connected with anything deeper. And so, you know, in asking those questions or having some of those challenges, I think I felt like, am I doing the right thing? Right. Mm-hmm. Am, am I am I saying no to things that I should be saying yes to? And then I found uh, uh, what is it? Um, oh, I guess it was Lean Six Sigma for Dummies was probably the first book <laughs> that I purchased. And I found out there's words for those things mm-hmm. and that there's there's, you know, information behind that that I could learn from. And so that's the first time that I went, OK, demand is a thing. Aligning our tasks to demand. That's a thing. It's not Mm -hmm. just in my head. There's words for it. And so that for me, you know, I was already on board. I was already using the tools. I just didn't know these fancy names for them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think it's just part of who I am as a person uh, that I was on board and interested. And um, I think it's that enthusiasm that helps me break through to some of these people like you're talking about that maybe don't have that experience or confidence that things can change. And so um, I think I kind of have that blind passion or enthusiasm to go in there and be like, cool, that's fine. But we're still going to take these steps forward. And there still is opportunity there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, and I think we probably all had the benefit of learning about these things when we were young and we had not yet gotten yeah, into the cycles of you know, people who had seen all these programs of the month, their program of the year. That, that, that disappointment that maybe turns to cynicism of leaders saying, okay, here's this, here's this program, here's this thing. And mm-hmm. then it doesn't stick. It doesn't really lead to anything. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, again, it's understandable why people might then shrug their shoulders or roll their eyes when they hear about something new, even mm-hmm. when then yeah. you know, we, we've got experience and evidence and we want to say, Hey, we know this can work. Well, they might not want to even let you prove it, you know, um, oh, yeah. tell yeah. you can show it's different this time. Oh yeah. Yeah, coming from oil and gas, everybody was really excited yeah. for a, you know, 27-year-old woman to step out into their site and tell <laughs> them about continuous improvement yeah. or do yeah. a time and motion study, right? Um, you know, I guess in my career I've had some extreme examples maybe of people that were not on board that you still had to interact with and do projects with. So, mm-hmm. um, it's 
it it's I think part of the journey that we don't always teach people is being comfortable in that uncomfortable space and understanding people are not going to be excited sometimes. Yeah. Well, so one thing I was excited about back to why I had reached out to the both of you on on LinkedIn. Like the, to me, this is the best of LinkedIn is when you know somebody you you get exposed to somebody or in this case the two of you who I, I didn't I didn't know. It's probably because somebody I know may have commented or liked a video that you did, a conversation between the two of you um, that you called Squishy Lean. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed that discussion and the term kind of uh, caught my eye. Um, I mentioned earlier the podcast that that that, that video was, was was that basically a, a prototype of, of what is now becoming a podcast? Yeah, we did. We decided to uh, not worry too much and kind of experiment uh, with this squishy lean space. So we did a few videos uh, when we could connect to see, hey, how do we vibe? What are some of the topics we could talk about? Um, is there value here? Mm -hmm. And uh, after a few of those, we felt like, hey, we really like where this is going. Let's let's make this into something more. Yeah, that's exactly it. And those first couple videos that we made, um, it was that whole process was so much fun just getting into a space because Amanda and I had met in another like lean organization called lean Portland, and we had good discussions there. And then Amanda had contacted me and said, we have great discussions there. Let's try to have our own discussions and kind of see where that goes. So yeah, call it a prototype. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, that that's what we do. I think with, with lean is, is, have this, you had the freedom to run a small test of change, to run the mm -hmm. experiment. Uh, um, uh, Rich Sheridan, the CEO from Menlo Innovation, loves to say, run the experiment. You know, if, if in doubt, <laughs> you know, if there's no harm that's going to come from it, run the experiment. So what, what, mm -hmm. what I hear you saying was doing a couple of videos was kind of no pressure of like, if you decided not to keep going, well, you put out a couple of videos. That's not a failure. <laughs> yeah. you, you, um, but tell, tell me more about how you evaluated some of that thought process of like, well, clearly you figured out you could do the videos. It seemed like you were enjoying them. What was some of the thought process for evaluating that experiment and deciding to say, okay, this is going to be a podcast? Yeah, I'll let Dominic answer I think, that. Yeah, I think that um, once we got past the mechanic aspect of being in two completely different time zones, are there times that we can meet? Check that box. Yes, we found that. Then it was, are there topics that we think that we both feel comfortable speaking to? That I think we kind of danced around as we went through the videos until we decided on what kind of audience we were trying to reach for. And that's where I think Squishy Lean, the name of that, mm -hmm. speaks more to the audience that we're kind of trying to reach out to. We understand that there's tools and resources for people that are in the roles now. But if there's anybody else that's outside of that or wanting to get into practicing lean and continuous improvement in Six Sigma, we want this to be a launch pad for them in that sense. So yes, then once we found that checkbox and we said, yeah, we have the audience, we have the name, then it was more how structured can we get? And we came up with a pretty good structure, did a SWOT analysis um, to see what we wanted to do with our podcast. And then um, basically mapped out a couple the next year, basically, mm -hmm. of topics that we could talk about, how that was going to be broken up, and then assign some role. So I think that it was a pretty natural progression. And once two or three of those boxes were checked in the beginning, I think it was a 
a very clear indication that we were ready to go. Anything else that I missed, Amanda, on that? No, I, I think I think what you may have missed, actually, I said no, but I think what you may have missed <laughs> is that, uh, you know, I tend to be someone that if I want to know more information, one of the places I go first is YouTube. And I look at the videos there or I just listen to it before I'm going to teach it to hear how others explained it. So um, even though I'm listening to it, probably the podcast is a better option for that. But I tend to go towards those videos, whereas Dominic comes in and he's he's on top of the podcast game. So I think some of it's uh, also that Dominic is quite passionate about podcasts. So I think some of that passion kind of rubbed off on me that let's try it. Let's let's go to that audience because essentially it's it's what we're doing already. And what I really kind of liked about the podcast idea is it forces us to describe things, I think, in more detail because people are not seeing that visual. So I think it also forces us to take a step back and look at things a little bit differently as we're describing them, which I think is a really um, a really good challenge when we're looking out to people who are new to these tools. Yeah. It sharpens our communication 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me more about where the word squishy came from and, and, and why that became kind of the driving word in the title um, squishy. Lane. Yeah. So this is a word that I've used quite a bit over the last few years. I did a just in time cafe uh, last year, I think uh, where I talked a little bit more about the ways that we, uh, kind of isolate people away from continuous improvement. We we bring them in and then sometimes we sour them to it or we make it too hard or we make it very complicated, right? Uh, we use words they're not familiar with or tell them that they're doing it wrong. And I just feel like there is a space there to be squishy, to be you know less about those hard corners and doing it perfect and being more comfortable and just trying it out. And so I think, you know, I use that word squishy a lot. And I think Dominic liked uh, that, that interpretation, that approach to those tools. Um, Because I don't think one of the reasons I reached out to Dominic was because we have very different backgrounds. We have different skills. I don't know it all. I'm happy to not know it all. There's no way that I can. None of us can. Um, But I, I can reach out to other people that do. And so I think Dominic gives a nice perspective for things that I wouldn't have that visibility of. Uh, I come from mostly non-manufacturing backgrounds, whereas you come from manufacturing. Um, And so I think getting those two perspectives together, uh, you know, when I heard Dom speaking, it was obvious to me that he also was in that squishy space, that we didn't have to to be that traditional continuous improvement uh, professional. And so I thought it was super interesting to see his perspectives uh, from a completely different background and see where we connect and where we might not agree. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so it it just came together nicely, I think, with those two different perspectives. Yeah, you hit that right on the head, Amanda. That is how I interpreted Squishy. Um, Mm. Exactly right. So... Like to 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 me, that word and what you're saying kind of implies this. And tell me if I'm hearing you right, or if if I'm in the ballpark. Like squishy means not being overly rigid, 
mm-hmm. about rules. Like, for example, like people will throw mm-hmm. out a rule like, uh, oh, you know, you should always start with five S. I don't like <laughs> always or never statements. A lot of this is very situational. It may very well mm-hmm. be that these people who say always start with five S found great success in doing that, or they were taught to do that mm-hmm. and they had good experience. But we could be squishy around that. Or somebody saying a Kaizen event always needs to be five days. Like, well, that mm-hmm. seems to not be so rigidly true. We could be sort of squishy, but we're not getting to a point where like anything goes. There are no principles. We can call anything lean. I'm sure you're not going there. And your face, Amanda, confirms. No. And you're both yeah. nodding. So, yeah. And I'm not no, accusing definitely you of that. But not. I'm just saying, tell, tell us more about making no. sure it doesn't get too squishy, <clears throat> if you will. Yeah, so uh, I, I definitely is fully on board with what you first said. Uh, one of those examples from my career is uh, the OEE calculation. Uh, when you're not working in manufacturing, it doesn't always make sense. So you have to adapt the tool to the industry you're working in. Uh, but the people that I was working with that were, you know, 20 or 30 year career Lean Six Sigma people said, no, this is how you do it. This is how you calculate it. There is no other way. Um so yes, it's definitely about not not um not being too rigid with those rules. But at the same time, there are there there is guidance there that you should use and that you should leverage. To me, it is more important that you experiment with these tools than you do them perfectly. Uh I don't know, I haven't thought so much though about how do we make it not too squishy? Because I think the people that are would be listening to the podcast are not people that are going to throw off all the rules because then why would they why would they care about learning more about these topics? And I don't know, Dominic, what do you think? That's a that was a good point, Amanda. I think that whenever we start to feel the the, the squishy part for me is whenever you introduce a tool or you introduce a methodology, it doesn't have to 100% say the use the same words. So if there's a simpler way for me to say 5S, or if 5S is good enough or the eight ways, then I'll just say the simpler version of those things to get people to come along. So the squishy part for me is a personification of that on-ramp to the point where you're ready to hear about the real words, ready to hear about the real history. And then it's like, yeah, because I felt comfortable in the safe space to learn so um, I'd hope that there would be people that would call flags on us if they're like, you did the five S's out of order or where's, how did you add a ninth waste into your last podcast? And like, why was that legitimate? We, yeah. I'd want people to call us out on that, but we don't have any intentions yeah. of, of doing that either. You're Being testing corporate. my limits there, huh? a ninth waste. Woo. Well, I, I was going to say that uh, what well, be, being overly rigid is the fourteenth waste. Uh, <laughs> I've, just, I've just invented and no. Uh, but um, I, I, I love what you said, uh, Amanda. Of um, to paraphrase it back, it's more important to go and experiment and uh, and, and to to try things and to learn and go through PDSA cycles than it is to go do it perfectly. And and I think that's a great point. And that seems to be one of the themes of what you're going for with the podcast of Mm -hmm. how can we make it less intimidating or easier for people in different settings to get started? So I was was wondering if you could, you know, tell us a little bit more about the audience profile Mm -hmm. that you've identified and, 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 and how you think we 
not you know the two of you as podcasters or how all of us what advice you would have about how to make it easier for people to get started so i'm going to answer something that you didn't quite ask there and then i'm going to let dominic answer those questions mm-hmm. so one of the things that we get over and over again cuz i'm still super passionate about demaic i love demaic um but how do you know if you're doing it right and to me it's if you have sustainable benefit Right. And and when people ask me, do, am I doing it right? Did I do define right? Did you get a common understanding of the process and the problem and define? Yes, you did it right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you sustain benefit? Yes, you did it right. Right. So like, uh, yeah, that was the beginning of what you yeah. said there. So, yeah. But I'll let Dominic answer um, some of those additional questions. Thanks, Amanda. Um. Mark, can you state that? I, I have a bad habit of uh, sometimes combining a couple of questions together. Okay. One, so um, you know, what, what tell us more about the audience profile that you've identified, and mm-hmm. for them or for anybody, what what are your thoughts on making it easier for them to get started with continuous? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the audience profile is like we said a little bit earlier. Um, people that are looking to get started, maybe they're working in a in a company and they want to move into a more lean space, similar to Amanda. She started off as a, te- as a teacher. And um, maybe there's somebody that's coming up that just started in a job and they're looking for opportunities to get their first quick win, just like I did as an industrial engineer in a manufacturing setting. We want to give them that lens so that they can see the things that they look at, look at every day in a different way. Because we're using common language and we're talking about things in a very casual way. So if they're on their way to work and they're listening to our podcast about process mapping and they're like, hey, I can make a process map as soon as I get to work. You can do that whether you're a teacher or an industrial engineer or somebody else that works behind the counter at a gas station. Anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. So we want to try to build that common, casual language to encourage accessibility and just the ability to try something and try to take it further than just the words of the podcast. just kind of pose challenges for people mm-hmm. so that they can try that. And then they're excited to listen to the next episode to build on the skills that they learned the last time. And I had someone uh, a few months ago that had reached out about wanting to move into continuous improvement as a career. And he had been a CrossFit trainer for seven years. And he said, I, I don't uh-huh. have any experience. Mm-hmm. And I went, you have yes, a you ton of experience. <laughs> right. You've been helping people change, take on change. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. Identify maybe what those gaps are in their body to be able to find those solutions that help them and transform their lives. Like mm-hmm. to say that you don't have that experience or to reframe that for a person so that they understand that actually they've been using these tools, even if it's not the traditional application, is um is exciting. It's powerful. And I mean, I guess at the end of the day, we want to enable those people that are new to be able to run with these things, to experiment with these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned a trainer. I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, I wrote a blog post. It was back in 2016. I started working with a, a personal trainer and I wrote a blog post about what I learned from him and how that connected to lean and continuous mm-hmm. improvement. Um, it's not that I had never exercised before, but there were things that I was learning that were new. There were some bad habits that he was trying to um, coach me out of. And 
Um, I, I think there's this theme that that's related to what we're talking about here of not making me feel bad about my mistakes, that the focus was on learning and improvement instead of, you know, punishing me in some way. And that that's near and dear to me um, yeah. with, with my book, The Mistakes That Make Us. Sorry for the mm-hmm. shoehorning that in. But what, what are your thoughts of, you know, kind of um, as, as, as we make it easier for people to get started? reducing that 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 fear factor of I'm going to do it wrong, I'm going to get in trouble, I'm going to get embarrassed, I'm going to be punished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Reducing that um, I think is is really important because then it would turn continuous improvement and feeling that you need to be certified in it into a prerequisite. Like everybody just knows how to do it. It'd be great if whenever I approach somebody in the job that I have now, and I talk about how I'm going to make a process map for their exact process that they do every single day. If this isn't the first time that they've heard about that type of process mapping, or mm-hmm. if I offer an idea for an improvement, it's not the first time they heard about reducing waste. It'd be great if that was more of a universal language um, and we could leverage some of the tools that we have today to spread that message a little bit more. I think two people start to, to um, when they don't, have maybe a job that's a continuous improvement job. They, they struggle to say, how can I use these tools? But you don't have to call it what we've, what we have in the book, have your team get together and do a workshop with your team. And maybe you're using these tools. Um, You know, so I, I think it's also giving them the confidence that they can take those steps, Uh, you know, just, kind of enabling that and saying that it is okay to do that. It's not outside of, of what what's required, right? Like you said, Mark, you're not doing anything wrong, right? Amanda, I just wanted to kind of comment off of that one thing. That's why I think the podcast is going to be uh, such a, a good way to reach the masses because I can name multiple times where I've heard something on a podcast immediately tried it the next day. And then that became a major point mm. of my routine. And I told mm-hmm. you this Mark in our pre-call that two foot rule that one of the very first people that were on your minus biggest mistakes podcast. Um, I've implemented that and it's awesome. There are days where I don't want to say hi to somebody that's two feet from me. And I still do. And I think that it's really put me into a better position when I speak with people at different facilities, um, higher ups, people on the shop floor, everybody. So um, if I've done it, I'm sure that other people are going to want to do it too. If they hear about it through our podcast. Yeah. Squishy lean. It's kind of fun to say. Squishy lean. One other topic before we wrap up here, um, you know, Dom, you mentioned earlier, it sounded like, you know, you know, like most people, you're introduced to lean practices in the workplace. You end up doing some of these things at home. But I know you've got a passion for maybe even trying to flip that of exposing people to lean concepts at home, maybe even as children as a way of equipping them for the mm-hmm. workplace. Tell, tell us tell us more about that. So nothing's set in stone yet, but I can definitely think back to times that I was younger um, with ways that certain things were done, like even the organization of my refrigerator um, that helped me do things at a better pace, at better quality. I was able to um, really help out around the house because of some of the lean practices that were implemented that I didn't know were lean practices. Let's put it that way. And I think that that gave me confidence as a younger kid 
to step up and be a leader in other situations, school, sports, other things. And I think that everybody has that same home base with opportunities that they can find to start to gain confidence and practice and show how they can contribute more whenever they're working with a team. So I think that there's opportunities within families to share work, identify areas where people can help or stop doing things that are non-value added and gain that confidence to then take out into their other endeavors. Um, I also think there's an opportunity for people to earn scholarship money in a sense off of finding mm-hmm. and identifying wastes and re- eliminating wastes. And that might be something else that pops up later, but I really think it goes back to the confidence I gained from helping out around the house just as a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've got this opportunity now since lean is no longer so new We're a couple mm-hmm. generations in um, mm-hmm. as, as a, a, adults are um, yeah. Now with the opportunity to, to help uh, you know shape what their kids are doing, and um, it's always fun to see examples of of people engaging their kids in improvement at home. I've seen examples. Joe Schwartz and I, um, in the last chapter of our book, Healthcare Kaizen, intentionally um, did a chapter of you know how his health system encouraged people to document Kaizen improvements they had done at home, and, and they didn't mean Kaizen events, but you know people coming with pictures of like. The kids, you know, the problem statement was kids aren't getting out the door uh, to school on time. So yep. we organized the the boots and the lunchbox and the thing. And like these, these process improvements that don't have to have an ROI. It's making your life run mm. more smoothly. I just, I, lo- I love seeing examples like that. And I'm sure, you know, hopefully the kids feel better about it too, that they're not being forced. It's not like being forced to go clean your room. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's something that should be fun for them. And you'll see that in the sustainability piece. How well does it really keep up and how well mm-hmm. did you sell that idea? But yeah, I'm right there with you. Oh, it, it'll, it'll be good to see how this all evolves. And you know, Amanda, I'm curious before we wrap up, if you've got thoughts or stories around that as well. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's definitely something that I'm very passionate about, uh, but I think my perspective is maybe a little bit different because the last 10 years I've been traveling. So while um, for me at home was my suitcase, uh, so so I definitely agree. You know, there were tons of things of when I get into a hotel room, these are the things that I do. This is how I unpack my suitcase. This is where everything goes. These are the things that need to be organized. These are the things that just need to be stuffed in. Um, I do uh, have a lot of passion about making it as easy as possible to manage our home lives so that we can spend as much time as possible doing what we love. Uh, But Mark, you mentioned that ROI. Uh, The ROI doesn't have to be dollars, Mm -hmm. right? So like whatever goal you're going after, which maybe it's getting kids out of the door with as little frustration or getting them out on time, the return on investment is they get out the door on time. You have less stress about it, right? Like I I think too, um, you know, it doesn't all have to be dollars. Yes. I agree. And as a traveler who has no kids, the suitcase and the travel routines, that's an app, that's an application for standardized work in Kaizen for sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. And learning from our suitcase packing mistakes. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Well, again, we've been joined today by Dominic Stokes and uh, Amanda Zimmerman. Um, Squishy Lean is what you should go uh, search for wherever you are listening. Uh, to this podcast. We'll put links in the show notes. So congratulations on the launch. And uh, boy, I know 
it's great to hear that you've got a plan. Too many podcasts do sort of uh, fizzle out and it sounds like you're, you're going to stick with it and not, not fizzle out. So I'm excited to, um, to be able to keep listening and, and hear what you have to say and encourage others to do the same. Awesome. Thank you very Thank much. You. So this has been uh, a lot of fun. Thanks. Uh, thanks. To, thanks to you both. Well, again, thanks so much to Amanda and Dominic for joining us here today. For links to their podcast, more information about them, look in the show notes or you can go to leanblog.org slash 483. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.